Come on, somebody. How are you guys doing today? How you doing, church? Come on. Man, I'm excited for today. I, I don't know about you, but Sunday morning is my favorite time of the entire week. It's better than sports. It's better than the movies. It is, it is just a fun time. And my prayer today is that we have a good time and that this message blesses you this morning. And so um, let's participate together. Today, I want to have a conversation. A conversation goes two ways. And so feel free to, to talk back to me as I'm talking to you. And so I don't want to participate in your faith for you. I want to participate together as a body. So let's get excited for today. Man, this morning is going to be awesome. So excited, so grateful uh, for the opportunity that I have to communicate to this amazing church and this amazing congregation. And um, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Dan. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Zoe Church. And my beautiful wife is sitting in the front row. That's Pastor Amanda. She's the kids' pastor. And she is actually carrying our first child. Come on, somebody. I'm going to be a dad. I, see, I still feel like I'm 16 sometimes. I'm 27, feel like I'm 16. I don't know if you were there when you had kids, but that's how I feel. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully we keep them alive and well. <laughs> Yo, so our kid's name is Camden Kelly Jewell, and I believe he's going to be a world changer someday. The young preacher himself. So he's going to hit the gym with me day one. It's going to be good. He is a blessing. That's right, my man. Guys, it is an honor and a privilege to stand before you today to be able to communicate with you. And uh, it has been an honor and a privilege to be a part of this church for about seven, eight months. It's been a blessing to my wife and I, bless you. It's been a blessing to my, my wife and I. Um, we can attest that we love this church. We love this community. And uh, this community has blessed us in remarkable ways in the last seven or eight months. And uh, we've made so many friends with you, friends with families and seeing people engage in the Zoe Church community and engage in what God is doing at this church. It is so, um, I'm so thankful for that. And uh, it's just a privilege to be able to be with all of you this morning. And uh, I also want to take a moment and honor Pastor Greg and Amber. See, um, the last seven months have been hard. Man, and I have gone through some stuff, and, and Pastor Greg and Amber have been tremendous friends, tremendous pastors, and incredible leaders in our life. And I don't know if we would be here if not for you two, and so I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to communicate to this church, and uh, um, just want to honor you. So give it up for Pastor Greg and Amber. So... I'm coming off a cold, so if my voice cracks, do me a favor. You can laugh at me. Don't take me too seriously. I tend to take myself a little too seriously. I don't know if you're there, but guys, we're taking a break from the book of Daniel to hear from this Daniel. So I am the lesser of the two Daniels, if you don't know that already. I didn't come out no lion's den, but I'm excited to be here, and I hope that this message blesses you this morning and uh, I, I hope that you are blessed. And so let's have a conversation. Let's get into it. We got some good stuff coming down the pipeline. Today, I'm going to give you the title right out the gate. This morning, the title of this message is You Get What You Don't Deserve. You Get What You Don't Deserve. 
We're talking about something today that we have all received that we did not deserve. We've all received it. None of us deserved it. Before I get into the text of our story, I want to talk to you this morning about the context. See, when you watch a show on Netflix, you would never start the show in the middle of the season without watching the prior episodes. Think about your favorite show. Well, if you did watch it in the, be- in the middle without watching the episodes before, you would be both uninterested and unimpacted by what was happening in the story. So when you're uninterested and unimpacted, the impact is less. And so what we need to do is treat the Bible like we would treat Netflix. You always watch, you understand all the context prior to what's happening in the story. Some of us are uninterested and unimpacted by what God is trying to tell us because we don't take the time to understand what's actually in the text. And so today we're going to look at the context so that the text has a bigger impact in our life. Are you with me this morning? We're going to wake up today. Our story begins with Jesus traveling and telling stories. There is crowds gathering around Jesus as he traveled and he spoke. And these crowds were a mix of all types of people group. There was sinners and tax collectors that were noted in the crowd. And there was Pharisees and teachers of the law. And Jesus spoke in what's called parables. Most of his teaching is delivered through a parable. And a parable is a story that communicates a principle. And the reason Jesus communicated stories is because our God is a God of action. See, Jesus didn't only tell us what to do, he told stories on how to do it. So we need to be a people that doesn't just say the right thing, but a people that actually does the right thing. And so God told, Jesus told parables to show you how to do what he's asking you to do. So we had tax collectors, and we had Pharisees and teachers of the law. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were upset at Jesus because Jesus was hanging out with the sinners. See, they thought that just because the sinners had their sin on the outside made them somehow better because they just had their skeletons in the closet. Am I stepping on any toes yet this morning? You better wear your steel toe boots this morning because I'm going to come in for your toes. Guys, our story picks up um, in what's called the prodigal son parable. So Luke chapter 15 verse 11 through 32 is the story that we're going to be talking about today. This parable has three primary characters. You have a, a father, you have the younger brother, and you have the older brother. And everything was going great in the family. Everything's going good in the household. Dad's got a great job. The estate is growing. The 401k is growing. The kids have everything that they need. The father is providing for them completely. And then... Something doesn't go quite right. Our story begins when the younger brother approaches dad and says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. You're talking about a a young man coming to his father, dishonoring his father's name, asking for his share of the inheritance while the father is still living. 
See, the father would spend his whole life building his estate so that one day when he passed away, he could honor his family and honor the family name by dividing the inheritance up amongst the kids. But you got this snotty-nosed little boy walking up to the father, asking the father for his cut. See, just, if I got any dads in the room right now, where are my dads at? Come on, dads. Imagine your little boy walking up to you saying, Dad, I want my cut of the 401k. You're in your prime. Man, you probably smacked that boy so quick. Oh, my. I'd say, no, get on out of here. i get him out of there. See, we had a that belonged to a man. And in our story, the father says yes, but sometimes in life, God says no. You know that thing that you want, but you know you're probably not ready for that you're asking God for. See, sometimes God says no because he protects us from our own poor decisions. Our story starts with the younger brother getting what he didn't deserve. God gave him, or the father gave him the inheritance. Crazy. So he went against the cultural norms and he forfeited his own dignity and his own family name to give the inheritance to the guy, to the son. And in verse 13, it says this, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He got the inheritance together. He said, thanks, dad. Let me get it together. Wrap it up. And he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Look at your neighbor say, yikes. Yikes. See, he says, not long after that, connect with me here, not long after meaning he hid his motives and he hid his intentions just long enough to get what he wanted out of the Father. My concern today is that some of us live a not long after type of faith. You're sitting in the chair, you're coming to church, but you're here because you're trying to get something from God. You got a problem and you're saying, I'm going to come to church and God, you better do what I need you to do in my life. Once I got what I need, I'm out of here. See, his actions were telling of his motives, and his motives told on his heart. My fear is that some of us live a not long after type of faith. You're here because you want something from God. You're here because you got a problem. You need God to fix it. You're here because you think that God is only here to give to you, and we have a misunderstanding of the purpose of the relationship with Jesus Christ. My fear is that we live a not long after type of faith, a faith that only takes. It doesn't give. A faith that says, I don't need that obedience and authority stuff in my life. I just need you to give me what I want. I write my own destiny. I'm in control. Catch this. The younger brother didn't ask for his inheritance because he wanted money or, or property. It's because he wanted power Control and independence apart from the Father. He wanted to do it on his own. He wanted the power without the accountability. He wanted the control without the submission. He wanted independence without structure. 
And you may have missed it, but he traded his honorable position in the family for dishonorable possessions in the world. Let me put it another way so you get it this morning. He traded his honorable position in the family for dishonorable possessions in the world. He traded his father's permanent equity for his own temporary ecstasy. He's going to go party now. He pursued the illusion of independence away from the father's authority. And he took it at the expense of the father's dignity. Have you been there before? Are we, we have some honest people at the church this morning. I've been there. But you already know the story. See, Adam and Eve, you all probably know that story. If you don't, just open the Bible to page one. You'll figure it out. Adam and Eve, they had everything. They were going to inherit the earth. God gave them everything that they needed. And he said, just don't eat from that one tree. Not, just not that one tree. And see, you know the story. A slimy little slithering serpent comes up to them and tries to convince them and does convince them to eat from the tree. But it's not about the apple. Essentially, the enemy convinces them, whispering in their ear, that they could have power, independence, and control apart from the Father. Do you see the parallel yet? You need to know just because you don't see a serpent in the prodigal, prodigal son's story doesn't mean he's not there. But you also need to know and you need to wake up to the fact that just because you don't see a serpent crawling around your house doesn't mean he's not whispering in your ear. We need to wake up to the reality that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And anytime we're tempted to think that we can have power away from the Father, control away from submission, and independence apart from God, that's the serpent whispering in our ear. The enemy's goal is to get you out of the house. He doesn't want you to be here. He doesn't want you being in the house because he knows he doesn't got power in the house. And his bait usually looks like control. And the lure sometimes looks like power. And he wants to convince us we can be independent apart from God. His promises will lead us to bondage and his promises are empty. The illusion of independence in the world leads to delusional dependence on the things of the world. So remember that power, independence, and control were the goal of the younger brother. But let's, let's look where he, found, where he found himself. Verse 14 through 16. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. Here's the revelation. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Now he's dependent. Don't miss it. Who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Now your boy's powerless. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now he's lost control. See, he lost independence. He lost 
power and he lost control. What I'm trying to show you is that the enemy only makes false promises. He wants to lure you into thinking you can have power away from God's authority. He wants to lure you into thinking that you can have control apart from submission to God. And he wants to make you think that you're going to survive being independent in the world. Point number one this morning, independence apart from the Father leads to painful dependence on the world. Independence apart from the Father leads to painful dependence on the world. See, God allowed the younger brother to attain all that he wanted in life just to show him it's not what he needed. Verse 17 says, the the younger brother is waking up to the reality that now he's eating with the pigs, that he's lost everything that he tried to attain. And 17 says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. When he was at his lowest, instead of blaming God for his decisions, he said, I'm going to take responsibility for where I'm at. I'm going to do something. It says he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He took responsibility. See, I need you to know that the reason I'm standing here because I remember a moment in my life where I came to my senses. There's people sitting in this room right now who came to your senses, and that's why you're sitting here. There's people watching online sitting in your living room, and you know you need a touch from God, and you came to your senses. I want to talk to somebody in the church today who is here because they have come to their senses. We need to know the, understand the impact and the power in our life of coming to our senses. You're sick of fighting with your spouse. And you came to your senses. You're sick of the addiction in your life and you've come to your senses. People here have come to your senses, but you need to know what comes next. Because if you come to your senses and you live with where you're at, you get shame. You don't get freedom. So we need to come to our senses and do this. Stop blaming God for the circumstance. Wake up and verse 20 Get up and go to the Father. It's time for someone in this room to come to your senses and get up from where you're at and go to the Father. It's time for some people to wake up from the reality that you're eating with pigs when you were born into the royal family. Wake up to the reality that the king is calling you home and you don't deserve where you're at. The enemy wants to convince you that where you're at is where you belong. And where you're at is where you're going to stay. And what you've done is who you are. And remember, the enemy only sells false promises. It's the enemy whispering in your ear, telling you that you don't belong here. It's the enemy whispering, the slimy serpent, Whispering in your ear, telling you that you can't heal from your addiction. 
And it's time for some of us to take that enemy and crush him underneath our heel, come to our senses, and come home to the Father. God has a place setting for you, but you need to come home. The son thought he needed to prepare this speech, so he came to his senses, he got up, but he told himself, I'm going to give the father this speech and convince him somehow through his own ability to accept me back into the family because he thought he was still in control. And what you need to know is the father could see him from a ways off. It says, while he was still a ways off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And while the son was trying to take matters into his own hands, the father saw him in action before he heard the son's words. It's not our own performance that saves us. It's our action of repentance and coming home. And what's, am what's amazing about this moment, if we keep reading, is this. The father restored all that that the son lost. The son forfeited these things when he left the family and he took his inheritance. Verse 22 says, But the father said to his servants after he embraced his son, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring, the, bring a uh, ring and put it on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine is dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So they celebrated. They brought the, the fattened calf out. I'm talking about the thick boy. We're not talking about the malnourished, proteinless guy in the corner. We're talking about the big one. You know what I'm saying? The, the post-COVID calf. Okay, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Fresh out of quarantine. I, makes me want some steak after this. <laughs> See, what you need to know is every single item that he gave the son in this moment held cultural significance. Remember, the father's the only one that can restore that which we forfeit. The robe put on his back represented new purity. The ring on his finger represented power, dignity, wealth, and familial status. The sandals on his feet were that which protect him in his walk through life. And the fattened calf signified the father's unrelenting joy when the son came home. God is the only one who can restore our dignity. He's the only one who can restore our purity. He's the only one that can restore our familial status. He's the only one that can clothe us in his righteousness. But we have to come home. To be restored requires proximity. And for you and I, in this moment, 2021, Zoe Church, proximity to the Father requires proclivity to the Word of God. Proclivity is the tendency to choose something regularly. I'm going to get up. I need to nourish my soul. I'm going to choose this. I'm going to have a tendency to come back to this regularly. This is what creates proximity for us in our relationship with God. We need to have proclivity to the word of God. See, unfortunately, not all were very happy that 
your boy came home. There was another brother. We had the older brother, and let me give you some context. He did everything right. He had it all put together. He served the father day in and day out. He did all the things the father asked him to do. He honored the father. He, he did everything. He raised his hands in worship. He was all put together, which just means that, in other words, instead of wearing his sin on the outside, he just kept his skeletons packed nicely into the closet. And it says in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He comes home near the house and heard the music and dance, and he's like, what's going on at my house? So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home. The father has killed the fattened calf, the quarantine boy, because he has your younger brother back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So what happens next? The father went out and pleaded with him. And we need to understand the moment the author of this book is all about the details, so we need to catch the details. It was culturally unacceptable for the father to give the inheritance to the younger brother. It was culturally unacceptable for the father to run to the younger son when he was coming home. And it's culturally unacceptable for the father to leave a celebration in the middle of the celebration. And so what we find is a father that continues to choose destiny over dignity. And sometimes in our faith, we're going to come to a point where we choose destiny over dignity. When we choose what God is calling us versus what is culturally acceptable. We need to choose destiny over dignity in our faith. Verse 29 says, the elder brother answered the father. He said, look. See, he was about to tell the father something the father didn't know, or at least he thought the father didn't know there. You ever been there with your kids? They're like, look, dad, I don't know about you, but in my life, my arrogance usually reveals my ignorance. That's what's happening here. Verse 29, all the years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. <clears throat> 30 says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father replies, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother, is, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Just as the younger brother's motives were revealed when he gathered the inheritance and went away from the house, the older brother's motives were revealed when he walked out of the celebration feast. See, you got to assume that the older brother being a part of the family already was wearing all the things that the younger brother was gifted when he returned. He was probably wearing the robe that represents purity on his back, the same back he turned on the father. He probably already had the ring on his finger signaling familial status. The same finger he's waving at the father when he's telling him to look. Look at what I've done. He probably had the sandals that the younger brother wore 
And on those same feet, he walked out of the celebration. What you need to know in this moment is that just because you got the father's clothes on doesn't mean you know the heart of the father. Just because you got the clothing on, just because you got the jersey on, doesn't mean we're connected to what God wants in our life. And it's not the things, don't miss this, the things that the older brother did wrong that kept him from the table. It's the things he did right. It's self-righteousness. He just couldn't accept the fact that the younger brother got what he didn't deserve. He couldn't understand why the brother who did all these bad things got the same grace that he got. Point number one this morning, two this morning, you cannot graduate from grace. You will never graduate from grace. The good things you do on the outside don't make you better than those who don't even know that they're sinning. See, I'm going to nerd out on a defini some definitions here, so stay with me. Don't let your good deeds lead to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness leads to a feeling of moral superiority. There's a thing called the moral superiority complex, and it is a result of insecurity. To simplify, if performing good deeds in your life unintentionally becomes the means by which you are saved, you will always be insecure in your faith. I'm going to say it again because I think we missed it. To, if performing good deeds unintentionally becomes the means by which you are saved, you will always be insecure in your faith. Self-righteousness is the result of independence apart from the Father. Do you see the parallel? Righteousness is the result of dependence on the Father. Just as the younger brother sought independence apart from the Father outwardly, the older brother sought it through his own good deeds. Have you been there? We'll be honest this morning, I've been there. We see we all struggle with sin, we all struggle, and we all have the same tendency to fall into flesh and want control, power, and independence apart from God. And we all are in need of the same thing. We all receive what we don't deserve, and that is grace. Our main idea this morning, we also call it our big so what, is this, God is not looking for perfection God is looking for humility and repentance. If you walked away from the table in a moment and you had self-righteousness in you and you knew your motives were not in the right place, God is simply calling you back into the feast. If you don't even have a relationship with God and you're here for the first time or maybe you've fallen away from a relationship with Christ, the Father is calling you home this morning. And just as the father lost his dignity, going after the son time and time again, Jesus lost his dignity on the cross chasing after you and I. See, I, I see myself in both of these characters. I see myself in the younger brother from when I was younger, didn't really have a relationship with God, had anxiety and depression, and struggled with mental health as a kid. And a lot of that turned inward and it turned into self-hatred and insecurity. And my self-hatred led me to a place 
where I just didn't think I wanted to keep living. And in one of the darkest seasons of my life, when I knew I didn't want to live, God gave me a reason to live. And he called me home. And I came to my senses. And when I was in 10th grade, I was radically saved at a summer camp. And I came to know Christ. And after that, after high school, I, I knew I was called 16. I knew I was called into ministry. After that, when I got out of high school, I went into the corporate world and I started chasing corporate ladders and money, just doing what the world says to do. And I walked away from the feast. And God called me back four and a half years ago. And we got back into ministry, my wife and I. And I find myself time and time again having to repent for the, the normal flesh tendency to judge and to look at my good deeds and to worship those rather than those I'm doing them for. But this story has shaped my life in more ways than one. See, my wife and I, we would be lying if we didn't say that the last couple years have been very, very difficult for us. In the last year, we've lost friends, we lost community. I was diagnosed with cancer. We're battling all these difficult situations that keep coming up like a roller coaster that you just can't get off of. And for the last four and a half years specifically, we've battled an infertility journey that has been extremely painful. My fear was that I would achieve everything I wanted to achieve and not be able to have a kid and not be able to look a son in the eyes or a daughter. And we dealt with the fear of not being able to have kids in a family for years. And we would go to the doctor and spend thousands of dollars for treatments that weren't doing anything. And every month we'd give them money and pray that we would come home with a, with a baby. And we would be crushed underneath the weight of not being able to reproduce and the fear of maybe never being able to look a child in the eyes. And it was exhausting and painful. And people didn't understand it. You try to explain it, you know, you ever been there? You try to explain what you're going through, you just know that people just don't get it unless they're going through it. We got bad news on top of bad news. It was exhausting and uh, we felt empty, we felt helpless, and a lot of times we felt hopeless. I know that some people in this room, with what you're going through, you feel empty and you feel helpless, and sometimes you feel hopeless. I know people in this room right now that have, they're battling cancer with their every effort. I know people in this room that are going through infertility, praying that a child would come home someday. I know people in this room who are dealing with what I went through, depression, anxiety, suicide. 
I know people in this room are just praying that your son would come home back to Jesus. And I know people who are just trying to get through their addiction and come out the other side living. I can't help but see how God has impacted my life through this story in the last year. This is very real for me, if you can't tell already. I'm not trying to cry. My eyes are just sweating. I can't help but notice the example that the Father set in this story. See, the writer was all about the details, remember? And the details are important. And what I notice is that the father ran to his son, which means that the father was watching, which means that the father was prepared for the son to come home. I imagine that the father got up every single day knowing that his son was long gone, dealing with pain and fear, not knowing if he would ever see the son come home, dealing with the pain of praying that the miracle comes down the road. And I can imagine him in this bed every morning getting up with the pain in the pit in his stomach, throwing the covers off, letting his feet hit the floor, knowing that I, don't, I know my son's not home, but I got a job to do. I'm gonna, he let my feet hit the floor. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make my cup of coffee. I'm ugly crying now. Don't judge me. Knowing he's got a job to do, he's got his cup of coffee in hand, and he knows the only thing he can do is go out to the driveway and look to the horizon where his son would be coming home, praying that his miracle is on the way. I remember when God gave me this picture, it broke me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to conceive and have a kid. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this news that I got cancer, what that means for my family. I don't know how I'm gonna wake up and deal with anxiety and pressure every single day. I don't know if my friendships that I've lost will mend. But I get this picture that I gotta get out of bed every single day, let my feet hit the floor knowing that I don't know what's going to happen, but that I need to be expected and prepared for what is going to come, that I go make my cup of coffee, that I go out to the driveway, and I don't get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, but I look to the horizon, and I expect my miracle to come home. Some of you in this place, all you can do is get out of bed and expect God to send that what you've been praying for home.
I know every single one of us resonates with one of those characters in this story. Whether you're the younger brother and you don't have a relationship with God and you don't even know what it's like or maybe you've walked away from faith, you need to know that Jesus lost his dignity going after you. And he loves you. Jesus paid everything on the cross so that we could live free. And I'm calling you home today. If you're online, you're not safe in your living room, I'm coming for you. I'm calling you home today. In this moment, Jesus loves you. And if you're an elder brother, you you walked out of the feast in your own self-righteousness and you're doing things for the wrong reason, I'm calling you back into the feast this morning. Back to repentance, back to grace. We all get what we don't deserve. Jesus paid it all so that we could have freedom in this place, in this moment at Zoe Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. God is calling you home this morning. I want us all to bow our eyes, bow our heads, close our eyes. And if in this moment you resonate with either the younger brother or the older brother, and in this moment, if you want to come home in this time, if you want to come to your senses, if you want to get up and come back to the Father or come back into the feast, or if you are praying that a miracle would come on the horizon, and you are waiting on God, I want you to raise your hand in this moment. Praise God. God, we thank you that you paid it all for us. We got what we did not deserve. And you gave us the key to freedom. And it's a relationship with you. God, I pray every person in this room with hands raised whether they're the younger brother, the older brother, they're praying for a miracle in their life, God, that they would feel your presence, that your Holy Spirit would come on them and that their lives would be forever changed by the cross. God, we worship you in this place. Church, let's respond this morning.